Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we're going to be discussing the power of words. As empaths, we know the potency of unseen energy. You know, we feel our emotions. We feel the emotions of others. We know when someone is feeling off or when we're around someone with happy, positive energy. But what about the unseen power of our words? How do they impact us? Words are a creative force. With just 26 letters in our alphabet, we can create a masterpiece or a destructive, damaging force of energy. And so what we're going to be discussing today, mainly thanks to the help of a book called Power Words, we'll get into in a bit, is really this idea of helping us all to become more conscious of our words and the force that they carry with them. I really enjoyed this book and this topic because what, what it got me thinking about is we tell our kids, use your words instead of being physically aggressive. We encourage each other to speak our truth and express our feelings. We give voice to our intentions and we're so careful about how we word our manifestations, but do we really understand how much power is behind the, the spoken and I think also the written word, but that just that, that energy around each word is, it's really interesting. It really is. I mean, the Bible tells us that God created the whole world just with words. And I don't know if you've seen, it's on social media a lot, that pagans teach that words cast spell. That's why it's called spelling. Have you seen mm -hmm. that quote? I haven't. No. I think it, makes I always, sense. it does, doesn't it? Or there's that quote from Harry Potter when Albus Dumbledore says, words are, in my not so humble opinion, our most inexhaustible source of magic capable of both inflicting injury and remedying it. And then, of course, we have the word abracadabra, which means I create what I speak. And mm -hmm. some people believe words have the power to curse, and maybe that's where we get cursive writing from. Hmm? <laughs> <laughs> but another cool thing anyone can Google, science and Tibetan monks have shown us how spoken words take on actual shape. Have you ever seen those videos where they're standing next to sand tables and yes. their words have the vibratory energy and they form into geometric patterns? Yes. I mean, that is, I love where you can see the power of energy. My own personal, and I think you, you will agree with this, is that we're becoming more sensitive. We're becoming more empathic. We're becoming more in tuned. So not only do our words impact who we're speaking to or a situation, I think they're physically impacting our ourselves, emotionally, spiritually, physically. Oh, without a doubt. I had a neighbor once who we had little kids together at the time, and she would always say, I just need a break. My God, I just need a break. Every time I'd see her, how are you doing? I just need a break. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, within three months, she broke her foot. So yes, I broke I my toe once with that. I kept, I was in one of those modes and I broke my toe and I thought, okay, be careful what you wish for, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all heard those things like, oh, he's a pain in the neck. I can't mm -hmm. stomach her. And then you have neck issues or stomach pains. I can't shoulder this anymore. This is too heavy to carry. I mean, so our, our words are not only creating this powerful force, but they're also trying to talk to us. I love that. Now, in her, in her book, Power Words, Sharon Ann Klinger says, emotionally charged words have the power to wound or heal, 
to reject or embrace, to hurt or make happy, even when you're not the focus of emotional words, you can still feel their energy. And I thought that was really important because I think that's true. Sometimes if you're just listening to your parents fight or you're at a restaurant and you see a couple, you know, hurling insults at each other, or you're watching TV that has a lot of violence or uh, difficult words, it impacts your energy nonetheless. And she describes certain elements of a word's energy. So she feels that each word definitely has a meaning. So there's the definition, but with that definition, there's also an energetic imprint that comes with it. And this can also involve imaging and sensing the emotional energy that's connected with a word, the vibration and frequency, color, shape, and form. And and it was very interesting to see as you read through the book, how each word has so many, it's almost like a, a a starburst going in all these different directions with how much it impacts. And we just think of, oh, I said this, or I heard that. But really, if you look at it from a vibrational standpoint, it's pretty amazing the imprint and the impact uh, one word can have on us. Well, she uses a cool example to illustrate that. She says, take the word short and just take a moment to think of, of this word. So how do you feel? Do you feel smaller, hunched in? Now think of the word tall and take a deep breath as you think of the word tall. And how does this word affect your energy? Are you sitting up straighter? Do you feel more expansive? Then she says, now say the word inch and notice how your energy shrinks a bit. Take the word in and say it again, paying attention to your energy, inch. And on your next breath, say the word mile. Again, breathe this word in and notice how it shifts your energy. Klinger says you probably felt shrinking and then enlarging energy with both short and tall an inch and mile. But unlike short and tall, your perceptions with inch and mile probably felt more lateral or horizontal than vertical. And when I read that, Denise, I was like, oh my God, how'd she know? (laughs) (laughs) Because it's true With, with short, I kind of like felt shrunken and then with tall, I went up. But with inch, it was more of a left-right pulling in, and Mm -hmm. mile, it was more of a expanding left-right vertically, I'm sorry, horizontally out. And so she says this is a clear example of how words carry energy. I had the same experience when I read that part of the book, the same like physical and and, uh, visual picture in my mind of the smaller and uh, the shorter and the taller. Uh, excuse me, inch and mile, short and tall. It's it's pretty interesting to do that. And one of the things she suggests is to close your eyes and take a deep breath as you're saying the word and really get centered and and pull it in, pull that word in and really feel it. And I think as empaths, that's another whole part of this is feeling the words that we're saying or hearing can really make them, you'll, we'll feel more of the impact of them. What I really liked is she said, when situations are challenging, Changing your words will change your energy and your approach, and that will change your outcome. And we've talked about this a lot of, you know, do I have to do this versus I, um, I get to do this, or I'm choosing versus I, um, it's a, you know, all the, the word games we can play with ourselves. But she used the example of when you say the words to yourself, daring adventure, and you just feel that energy. 
rather than what might have felt really overwhelming or scary or unsettling or out of your comfort zone, all of a sudden you're feeling this surge of energy and empowerment. And wow, this, and I've done that to myself when I've been alone out on the road, uh, traveling in the RV or, or places, you know, just because I, I have gone a lot of places by myself. And sometimes I will have to physically say to myself, Denise, this is an adventure and it shifts my whole perspective and I start enjoying it more. So I loved that one about daring adventure. Yeah, I do too. She seems to almost break affirmation sentences down into one word. So rather than saying, I am feeling joyful, she has a section where she says, just focus on the word joyful. Right. And she said by using those power words and phrases, it makes them easier to recall and simple and short. So they're easier to remember. And and she did, she used some ex- examples with the intentions of, I create forgiveness every day. And if you put that into one power word of just forgive, it it's an impact. It's a quick pulse of energy. And it's a trigger. She, she calls them trigger words that will help realign your energy. She also used the example, I live in a state of love and joy which is a beautiful affirmation and intention. But then she said, if you switch that and just say joy now, it's more instantaneous and it can be a quicker call to action. Right. Which I think our subconscious responds to more succinctly as well. Oh, I agree. And she talks a lot about, you know, paying attention to the things you just so casually say, like my neighbor who said, I need a break. But think about how you talk to coworkers. You know, do you say things like, I'm swamped, I'm drowning in work, I'm over my head, I feel bogged down? Think about what the energy of all those words are doing to your body and your emotions and your mood. Now think about saying that to, I'm so happy, life is a blessing, I'm so grateful, love is everywhere. I love my job. I love the people I work with. It changes everything. It does. I know if I have an argument with someone or I say something that I'm not really glad that I put it in those words or I'm not feeling comfortable with what I might have said to someone, it gets stuck in my mind, but it also gets stuck in my body. And I think by being more conscious of of these power words and trigger words, it might be a way to circumvent holding that energy in physically. Yeah, she says there's six components to turning a word into a power tool for this energy. And she says belief, you have to believe in the word, you have to believe in yourself. Emotional engagement, so you have to feel a connection to that word. And you know, some people, there are just words some of us don't like and some of us do like. And so you have to think about if you associate bliss with a negative connotation. Like maybe you had a coworker who always said, isn't this blissful? And that makes you now cringe. Well, then don't choose that word. So you have to emotionally engage with that word. You have to be interested in this power word. You have to be interested in creating this positive change. Focus, she says, you have to focus on using this word. Repetition and call to action. Now, action, I think, is so important. And there's another example she used in that book that I really liked. She said, of course, you can call on your spirit guides and guardian angels for help and any loved ones in heaven. Of course, there is help there. But she said, you 
ultimately are the one who has to take action. And she says, imagine if you called all of your friends over and asked them to help you paint your house and they come over geared up, ready to work for you and paint the house. And you're just sitting there, you know, with your feet up watching TV soon, they're not going to want to help you paint that house. And so she's saying, if you don't take action, the people and the higher beings that you call on for help, they're not going to want to take action either. So it's kind of a co-participatory thing. If you go back to these components, like belief, that is the same energy as the power of prayer to me. That when you really believe in what you're saying, when you're giving it that resonance, when you're putting your, your heart into what you're truly saying, there's a trust and with that belief that I think helps give it more power. Yeah. Uh, when I was reading about, you know, the, the emotional engagement, and that just made perfect sense to me as empaths and people who feel very deeply paying attention to the emotional connection with a word, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, is a really excellent, excellent tool that all of us have. And I'm, I'm starting to reframe, not because of, of this episode in this book, but I'm really starting to reframe the empathy, the compassion, the sensitivity as a beautiful gift that we've been given rather is something we need to navigate or that if we've been told our entire lives, you're too this, you're too sensitive, you're too whatever. I think all of us stepping forward and saying, wow, I am so grateful that I'm this sensitive and can feel at this level could be a nice way to blend these power words with who we really are as empaths. But when she talked about novelty and interest, you know, using, she's, I think her example was saying good word rather to refocus and reframe, but she mentioned using a foreign language for increased novelty or something. And I remembered when I went camping a couple of years ago, one of my sons was with me, we went and met a dear friend and there was, a, I may have shared this before, there was a, a mother with two young girls in the campsite next to us and this little girl, and every once in a while, she'd just say, mais pourquoi, mais pourquoi. And it cracked me up because she just kept saying, but why, but why? And she was saying it in French, obviously, but it had the same tone, inflection. You knew exactly what that little girl was talking about. It didn't matter what language she was with. And it really, I think having fun with this is a really cool way to find the words that work best for you. Yeah, I do too. And putting the energy behind it, like you said, you knew exactly what that little girl was saying. Which leads me to a section you and I need to talk about, Denise. Uh-oh. Curse words. <laughs> that was on my list. Yeah, that's that's further down on my list. Yes. And I I um <laughs> I, I was that wasn't my favorite chapter. <laughs> no, mine either. She says if you say, damn it, you're actually voicing a desired intention to condemn that situation. And your energy will be filled with the agitated color red. This red will increase the agitation in and around you and bring your voiced condemnation back on yourself. And so she says the word damn means to condemn, to curse, to cause the ruin of. And she recommends switching it to darn it because the word darn means to fix or repair. So I thought that was interesting. Now, I have a very good friend who. It took her a few years to tell me this, but she takes not offense, but it's very hard for her and her because of her religious beliefs to hear me use God the way I do. Mm -hmm. 
Because I always, I'll say, oh my God, no way. Or I do say, God damn it, if I stub mm-hmm. my toe or something. And at, when she first told me that, I was like, oh, for the love of God. That's literally what I said. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I said to her, God created the whole world. I think he can handle it if I use his name in vain. Mm-hmm. But eventually, you know, I've just learned when I'm around her, I don't say, oh my gosh, because that's just not me. But I just try really hard not to say God because it's disrespectful to her and I want to respect her beliefs. But listening to or reading what Klinger was saying about using God as a curse word, it's made me think a lot about that. Okay. So I I worked with a woman uh, years ago in the South and she, we were talking about, she was going to see this new movie was coming out and she said, and it was violent. It was all these things. She said, I can watch violence. I can watch. She listed all these things that are really difficult for me. She said, but I cannot tolerate curse words. I cannot hear them. I don't want to be exposed to them. She had a strong physical reaction and also very, very religious background. And she said, I just find it so offensive if someone puts the Lord's name in vain. I it just, she said, it it causes me to almost have a fight or flight feeling. And I think that's a good example of how individual, what you mentioned earlier, individual words can really, really be a trigger for us. But one of the things she suggested, and I'm going to go back to the chapter about the curse words, was to, you know, if you say the F word, which I can't imagine that anyone would, but if you did, she said, you should just uh, replace that and say flip instead. So I was here by myself saying both words. And I thought, I'm not getting the same satisfaction of a good hearty F word versus saying flip. But she, her point was flipping it, flipping the energy. And so I, I think I need to revisit that chapter several times. Yeah, me too. I know my my daughter's are all teenagers now, and I'm sure they say the F word, but around me, they say frick it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I kind of feel like saying, just say it. I mean, that, that bothers me almost more than if they said the word. And you know, the F word means for unlawful carnal knowledge. That's where it originates from. And so if you were found having intimate relationships with a prostitute, for example, and you were arrested, you had to, rather than be in the stockade, you had to uh, be wear a sign that said F period, U period, C period, K period, and everyone would know what you were arrested for. And so to me, that doesn't have as negative a connotation as damn it. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, you know, we call swear words like she was saying curse words. And so it is having a potent effect, but I don't know, like, or, or say, if you say shit, I mean, that is excrement and that's not a good energy, but to me, the energy behind the F word is so medieval. What do you think? Well, my sons won't say that certain words to me. And I, I take it more as a respect that I'm their, their mother and they don't want me to, I don't know, maybe I've heard them say it other places, but they won't say it directly to me. They'll say other words, but the real hearty words that we tend to enjoy, <laughs> they, they don't say those to me. Uh, all the years that I taught school, I never swore. And you've talked to me a lot. You know, I have a filthy mouth. I never swore. I, I, and I prided myself on that. And I was really good at, you know, deflecting it, finding other ways to say it. And then one time 
years and years ago, it was a fire drill and it was a, a, it was a mess. It was an absolute mess. And I mumbled shit under my breath. And I did. And this kid next to me who was quiet as a mime, he just looked at me and we made eye contact and he got this big smile and then he walked out. And I thought of all the years because I, I didn't feel professional. So I think if you can turn it on and off, that's yeah, a good I, skill to have. I think it is a good skill, but I have to ask you when you talk about your sons, I had this really weird esoteric moment with my kids the other weekend. It was like Sunday night and I get this text from mine for an appointment on Monday that I completely forgot about that was going to screw up my whole day. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it and I said, mother, uh, uh, and I paused. <laughs> at my kids and and they just kind of looked all wide-eyed and I said oh I just can't wait for the day when I don't have to be this like mom figure and I can just talk to you guys like I talk to everyone else and my one of my kids said what do you mean and I said well you know I, I just I, I didn't know how to put it into words, but do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Like in that moment, I just wanted to say the whole word, and I wanted to just have no judgment and no expectation of being this perfect, amazing person who doesn't swear, and I wanted to be able to complain. But you can't do that with your kids because they're your kids, and they need to look up to you at that age. But there's a part of me where I can't wait till they're in their 30s with their own families, and I can just talk to them like I talk to you or. And so I don't know, like, I, I do, I appreciate that my kids say, frick, you know, frick it around yeah. me instead of the F word. But another part of me kind of looks forward to the day when all those labels and expectations are dropped. Right. And, and that's a biggie, because I do think it's as your roles change as, as parents, as, as children, as now for me, because my, my mother got kind of a more more of an enhanced vocabulary the older she got and it made me really uncomfortable because I hadn't heard it before and it made me so I wonder if our kids sometimes feel uncomfortable if we show that role I don't know it could be I grew up with a lot of swearing I remember asking my dad all the time what does SOB mean Well, we definitely had the swearing, but some of my mother's choices later in life were, were quite colorful. So maybe maybe it's epigenetics with my mouth. I don't know. Well, she so, so in her book, Power Words, Klinger also writes that words are a contract that bind us. Mm-hmm. And I found that really interesting. So if you are saying damn it to something and she's saying that energy comes back at you, that's kind of scary because it's kind of binding you to this contract of damnation. But if you think about it, we spell words to create a sentence. And if someone commits a crime, they're sentenced to do time. They're bound to this sentence. Oh, that's interesting. I know. It just kind of hit me like the way we use these different words. And she says, since your words are contracts that bind don't make a pledge to pain. Instead, bind yourself in a contract to joy. It's interesting because as you were saying that, I was thinking about uh, a woman I spoke with years ago who English was her second language. And she said, and, and it has impressed me for so many years that how difficult it is to learn the English language for so many people that may have an original 
native tongue that's different because there's so many words that are the homonyms, they're, but they're completely different meanings. And to learn all those nuances that don't make sense because in a lot of other languages, they're going to have one word that's going to describe that unless I know there's variations on that. But I've always thought about that in learning a new language. And when she was talking about using foreign language words, they almost have a magical quality. I thought that's a really fun thing to do is to find some phrases or some explanations or find the derivatives or the root word and use that as a, a base to, to come up with your own trigger words and power words. Oh, I do too. And she talks about that a lot. I like to call it a magic word. So like, for example, if the word for joy in Latin is gaudium, then you could say gaudium to yourself and it would be kind of like a magical trigger or phalux in Latin is happy or the Lakota word for peace is wawawa, which I think I just mispronounced. So please forgive me. But I think that's a really neat idea to use different languages that you're not used to for trigger words. So when you were reading the book, did you ever watch Seinfeld? The yes, sitcom? religiously. Okay. How many times did you say out loud, serenity now? Remember that? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That episode where he just kept screaming, where George kept screaming that, and that kind of cracked me up as I was reading the book. The only word I didn't like in Seinfeld was yada yada yada. Mm-hmm. There was Remember a lot that of episode, it. and then everyone started saying yada yada yada. Ugh. But yes, <laughs> serenity now is a great phrase to say. It just makes all of this just makes you think about not only what you say, but but what you hear. Because especially you guys know, because I was raised by a narcissistic mother, one of my passions is getting people to see the power of negative words as well as positive words. Because I obviously a punch, a bruise, a hit is terribly traumatic. But I don't think for children raised in negative words, and as their childhood, as that's all they know, I, I just don't think there's a lot of resources for us in terms of validation and recognition that, oh my gosh, that's really hard. My dear friend Sarah sent me a link for a premiere of the documentary that's getting ready to come out, The Wisdom of Trauma, and it's with Gaba Mate. And the whole thing was based on childhood trauma and how that manifests into addiction mental health issues, physical issues, all of these things. But that was one of the components that he asked. There was a woman who was doing this exercise with people who were in maximum security prison. And one of the questions she asked them was, how many of you were demeaned or demoralized or told you were as a young child? And and then she was having people take a step forward. And I think you just made an excellent, excellent point of especially for those of us that are so sensitive. And I I always used to say that emotional abuse or degradation is so much harder because you can see a bruise, you can see a cut, you can see a physical altercation. You can't see how deep that emotional wound goes. No. And people react and take action now when they see a bruise or a cut. But if you go to your school counselor and you say, oh, my dad is telling me that I'm worthless and nothing, you know, they're like, oh, go see this therapist. Good luck to you. Mm-hmm. And so I do think we need to switch that that paradigm of, oh, well, they say some cutting remarks. 
again, look at that cutting words. Right. <laughs> it, it does get your head a little bit when you start reading the book because you start thinking about the words coming out of your mouth and how you write them and, and how you, how am I expressing myself to truly align with what I want this to be. Now, what I liked about this, so there's so many different things you can do throughout the book. One of her on making a decision. So she gives you little exercises throughout the book that you can apply the information to, which I always love that when people give you something useful to do with what they're, they're telling you about. And she said, if you're trying to make a big decision, she said, close your eyes and make the declaration deciding now. Take a deep breath and fill yourself with this decisive energy. Decide now and notice the first response that comes to you. And then take another deep breath and let all that go. And then say the trigger word, destiny decision. And fill yourself with the energy that there's one choice, one answer in this decision that's your destiny. And what is it? And I think that, again, it talks about, it showcases, not talks about, but showcases the subtlety of one word difference or the energy that comes with it. And she said some of the decision-making methods using word energy can be imagining the visuals that come with your options. So if you said deciding now and you got, a, a, if you're a very visual person or you're clairvoyant and you got a message through with that, honor that and pay attention to it. Sense other options and how they impact your energy. So if you feel, you know, you get your response and you feel a, a let down or depressed, or if you feel excited and happy, pay as much attention to that as the sign that you're getting, because that's also a message coming through about how to make this decision. And then she said, did you read the part about tasting the answer? Yes. And I thought that was very intriguing because she said, and when you think about it, and interesting, we were talking before we recorded about someone in your life who, who had a, a it's clear, clear gustance when you smell things. Yes. And out of the blue. And we were talking about how that's usually an elevated thing when you taste or smell things from spirit. But she, and she mentioned, start with things that you know, like, oh, what does a cookie taste like or an apple or a piece of beef or fish or whatever that was. And, and say the word and feel it in your mouth. And what, because even right now, if we say lemon, a lot of us are going to salivate because we're just conditioned to do that. And then she said, start doing it with words that like pillow or book or sunshine and see if you, if, see if you get a taste or a feeling in your mouth. And then she said also tapping into the power of the written word, <clears throat> excuse me, which I think is for you and I, who both love written words, we get a lot of solace from that and a lot of comfort from the, the energy of, of writing. But the bottom line, she said, is make the choice that most honors you. So you can use all of these decisions, all of these power words, all of these trigger words. But what it really comes down to is, does this align with me? Yeah, I think that is so important. You know, I had a meditation teacher in my last Be Your Own Psychic class, and she described meditation so well to everyone. She was incredibly just insightful, and, and she just made it easy. And one of the things she kept emphasizing was meditation is not about clearing your mind of all words and thoughts. It's about noticing them. 
And I thought that that is such an important difference. You know, a lot of us think when we meditate, we have to be all Zen and and not have a thought in our head. And and she kept saying, no, 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 it's about just sitting with any thought that comes into your head and just allowing it and then letting it go. And so I think if we do get in the practice of meditation, not from the standpoint of clearing our minds, but of just recognizing what we are thinking. And then adding what you just said, engaging our senses to these thoughts that we're thinking, I think that could really bring some powerful awareness to what's subtly going on in our energy. Don't you think it will help all of us as we become more conscious of this and more selective about the words that we're using to speak our truth more easily, to come from a place of... Because as, as you start working with these power words, it is very much, you can feel it energetically. It feels more grounded. It feels more, uh, did you get that feeling as well with some of the exercises in the book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. What do you think about music and lyrics that we listen to in music? Oh, see, that's so funny you brought that up because throughout the book, that's a lot of my trigger words or power words or phrases or lyrics. And it would like, I'll, I'll do that a lot. I'll get a snippet of a song in my head and it will apply to what's going on in my life or a decision I'm trying to make or an interaction with someone. And it's fun. It's really, I think it's great. I think it's great too, but I'm asking, I love all music. I really truly do except opera. I wish I loved opera. I feel like, uh, I don't know, less civilized because I don't like opera, but every other music I really do love. I love classical music and peaceful music and happy spiritual music, but I also love, you know, hardcore music too. And I wonder if that would apply here as well. Like, I think if, if anyone was raised by a narcissist or is dating or partnered up with a narcissist, check out Numb by Linkin Park. Anytime I have an issue with my mom, I just blast that in my AirPods. I love that song. I love Linkin Park. I love a lot of kind of angry music like that. What do you think about that in terms of energy? I am the same. I love all music except, except this is judgy pie pants. So please forgive me. Unless the lyrics are so damn stupid and they're not, it's not music. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't give it that. Some, some of the, or if it's just screaming angry expletives without any meaning or I have to, I don't see the point of that. I don't enjoy it, but I do like opera and I do love classical and jazz and uh, country music and pop. I, I like it all. And it depends on the mood. And I think that it's, it can be a wonderful tool for all of us as sensitives and empaths is to elevate our energy or be calming and peaceful. So what was your question again? Well, I was just... <laughs> I was just thinking like, I love jazz too. I feel jazz in my energetic body. Like I feel it like Thelonious Monk. I go somewhere else. I just love it. Diane Shore, I could listen to her all day long, but I also love the angry yelling, screaming music too. And, you know, she mentions the uh, messages in water book a lot in, in her book. And I know you and I have talked about that book, uh, Messages in Water, many times in the show as well. And if you look at the pictures, and if anyone's listening going, wait, what is she talking about? That is the experiment. Um, is it Dr. Emoto? Yes. 
he yes. did where he would expose the molecules in frozen water to words and sounds and then take high resolution magnified photos of how the water changed in response to the vibration of that word or that song. And so the word love, for example, produced this beautiful, it looks like a, like a crystal snowflake. And the word hate produced this awful, messy, sick looking image. But mm -hmm. he also shows like what some hardcore angry music does to the music and to the water and it's not very good <laughs> and so the idea behind his work is if we're mainly water and we can now prove thanks to his groundbreaking work that water transforms based on the energy of these words vibrations and sounds then what is it doing to us when we take the word love or hate into our energy Mm -hmm. And yet I have found loud, angry music to be incredibly therapeutic and healing. Okay. So you, but you're using it as a healing tool and that we've talked about music being healing a lot of times. So with your, maybe it's a release, maybe it's a, something that allows you to express anger in a way that you're not able to in other cir circumstances. Who knows? Maybe it's a time in your life where you heard that and you, you were felt really empowered. It doesn't matter if it works for you. Keep doing it. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> what I've always thought too. Because my, my big thing is, I see this with a lot of spiritual people on the path. They tend to just repress any negative emotion. Oh, not good. You know, they tend to push it down and push it away. Like, that's okay, or I'm just going to be blissful. And that's such a lovely goal, but I think that all of our emotions are valid. And I think if we're going to be fully spiritually awakened and aware, we have to welcome the negative emotions as well as the positive emotions. And for me, poetry and music are two ways that allow me to stir up those negative emotions I don't want to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so... I. I don't like go on my five mile walk and listen to nothing but someone screaming in my ears. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm leaving a negative situation, like my mom's house, in that car drive home, it's, it's just a great release so that I can then walk into my house with a warm, bright energy. It helps me get that uck off. Okay. So the last, well, probably few months that I worked in the school, I had a certain place. I've told you this, that I would say the same prayer and meditation and, and get ready for the day. And then I would just blast the hell out of Aretha Franklin respect. And every day I would just pay it and I would sing and I would go in feeling so empowered and reminding myself, I deserve to be respected in this. So if you have songs that really bring that out in you, listen to those more. Oh, and I, mine is Golden by Jill Scott. See, and it just, you can't, you even feel that right now. Like yes. I, this, this surge of energy. Living my life like it's golden. You know, they're um, doing a movie with Aretha Franklin. And I think Jennifer oh. Hudson is playing her. I can't wait. Yes. See, so this is the other thing is music is intergenerational. So you could listen to something that's from the 60s, the 90s, the the 10s, the it, the 40s. It doesn't matter. It, it matters is does it resonate? Does it help you heal? Do you feel better? Does it help you process emotions that you might be having a difficult time with? And I think that goes hand in hand with these power words or, or learning what, because that's what we're trying to do. And what you just said a few minutes ago about, 
you know, you have to feel all the feels. How can you have the joy? Don't you find that as you become more cognizant and accepting of how you feel or express things, it becomes wider and wider and wider of the negative. Like you you don't have those reactions as much because you have more uh, emotional balance. Yes. And that's, and that's what we need, especially as empaths. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that so many of us, we, you know, my mom used to always say when she would get ready in the morning, I got to put on my face. You ever heard that expression? When yeah, my mother makeup? said that too. My <laughs> said, yeah. I think we all have a face that we put on to the world, right? And what I've been noticing is I think a lot of people have a face that they put on for themselves too, where you have this one side of you that's like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm calm. Everything's going to be okay. But there's this other part of you that's saying, no, this is a crappy year and this is all really scary and this sucks and that stinks and your boss is this and you know, blah, blah, blah. And we don't listen to that other face, that other wheeler side of ourselves. And I think if we start to pay attention, whether it's through reading books like Power Words or meditating where we just bring our awareness into focus, we will start to pay attention to that other face, that other self that to me is our true self who's really trying to tell us what's going on. And so you can say all the affirmations you want, but I think some people walk around with subconscious mantras. Mm -hmm. And I think they spill out in the phrases you might say to friends or coworkers, like I never have enough time or, you know, you can't have your cake and eat it too, or I can't stand my job or whatever it is. I think it leaks out. And if you start to pay attention to that, and instead of ignoring it or pushing it down or saying, well, that's not very positive, you know, because I don't want anyone to walk away from this show thinking all my words have to be positive. Oh, no. I don't think that's the message either. Right. Do you know what I'm trying to say? I know exactly what you're trying to say. It's going to take me a lot more chap reading through that cursing chapter before. But you're right. And and not to become so hypervigilant that we lose speaking our truth because we're afraid. Similar to, you know, when people are are doing a a manifesting and they're they're so cautious about, oh, I have to be careful how I word this because the universe is going to bring it back tenfold. I think it's the same thing. Don't become so hypervigilant that you lose the intention behind what you're trying to empower yourself with. Yeah, because she had this whole section on like light. Uh, she said lack attracts lack, and abundance attracts abundance. Mm-hmm. And I I get that, but I think sometimes life just happens, and it's not your fault that you're experiencing lack. And sometimes these spiritual stuff can make us feel that everything is our fault. You know, there's that line from The Secret where that guy says everything in your life is because of you, and he says it in a way that. I don't know, makes you feel like everything's your fault. And I think sometimes, I mean, look, if you lose a job and you're out of work for six months, you're going to be experiencing lack and no amount of words is going to fix that. However, comma, I do think during that six months of lack, you can use these power words to switch that energy, to flip it and start to attract better opportunities. So I guess what I'm trying to say is it's two things that have to come into balance, present reality and and your future 
reality, you know, like what you're trying to manifest. And I want to add to be gentle with yourself because if the example you used earlier about there's another litany running in our head that we're, we might be playing another subconscious tape, maybe, and I've had this these times in my life, I couldn't go there because I wouldn't have been able to get through the situation that I was trying to get through. If I had, if I hadn't stayed strong enough and kept pushing it, like, like not, not ignoring it, but giving it space, I, I couldn't let it become all consuming. And I think that some, if you're in a, in a position where you're under a lot of stress or you're trying to power through, or you're trying to, you know, you're going to get on the other side of this, this too shall pass all those things that we say. But sometimes I think we have to protect ourselves if it's just too much to deal with at the time. Say some more about that. Like how, how would you recommend doing that? I've shared this before is at one point in my life when I was very, very, very overwhelmed, I would get up early, like crazy early. And I would set the timer on the stove and for 15 minutes and I would cry and be upset and say all the things that I didn't feel like I could voice. And I'd be all by myself. The kids were still asleep. This was, you know, long, long time ago. And it was just the boys and I, and, and I would just vent it out. And then I, the timer would go off and literally I would wipe the tears away and I would say, okay, that's done for today. Now you need to face the world. So I wasn't holding it physically. I was still expressing it, but it was in us because I think you have to find, if you write it, and if you write the letter and burn it, if you tell a friend in confidence, if you talk to your dog about it, getting that physically out is really, really important. But sometimes if your day-to-day life is so intense or so much, you might not be able to fully embrace speaking those other words because it's not you're not going to be strong enough. Oh, I think that's really powerful advice. And I thank you for sharing that. We have to schedule it in. And I like your idea of a timer. You know, a lot of my friends and I were in, I guess, what you call the sandwich generation, where we're taking care of parents and we're taking care of kids and we've got work and all this stress and stuff on us. And sometimes does it ever feel, or maybe when you were dealing with that type of stuff in your own life years ago, does it ever feel like you just basically trade complaints with your friends? Right. You know that stage where you just kind of call and you're like, how are you doing? Well, blah, 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 blah. How are you doing? Oh, well, blah, 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 blah. And I think complaining is cathartic. I think it's helpful, but it can't become a habit. And mm-hmm. so your idea of that timer, I, I think that's fantastic because you don't want to get in that rut where it's all complaining because that is creating your reality. Right. And as empaths, it's going to keep you stuck as anyone it's going to keep you stuck but especially as the way that we're all wired yeah and i mean it is it is cathartic i think i shared this before in the show but when i was in high school my favorite thing to do in august was go to the drugstore and get 17 magazine do you remember that? And yeah. have like yeah. the fall school trends and what are the new looks for your back to school? I used to love to go through that and pick out like, oh, I, I need to get that. Oh, plaid's back in. But they would also have articles like, you know, uh, how to make friends. And when I was starting a brand new high school, I was terrified. And I get my copy of 17 magazine and they had an article 
called How to Make Friends, and in it, it said, complain. Complain about a teacher. Complain about the lunch food. Complain about your schedule. It's been proven to be a bonding thing. And I was like, really? And I remember I'm... (laughs) I'm in the girls' bathroom, and I complained about our teacher, Miss um, B, to another girl, and she was like, "Oh my God, isn't she the worst?" And we ended up becoming best friends. <laughs> well, there's camaraderie, and, and like misery loves company, but there's also it is a sense of camaraderie. Yeah, but it just cannot become a habit. No, and I think that's I think that's again what I'm trying to and not succeeding at, but trying to get across is all of this has to be a balance. So mm-hmm. we need to use these positive words, but we also need to recognize the reality of whatever we're feeling or witnessing or experiencing in the moment as well. But I think Denise's advice of setting a timer, you know, where you allow yourself to feel it for 15, 20 minutes and then you move through it and you move forward and you put it behind you is really, really healthy. So you've got to get it out, but then you've got to focus on the positive. Right. I think that wraps it up. We hope we've given you all a lot to think about. Again, the book we've been discussing is Power Words by Sharon Ann Klinger. Would love to have you guys check out our work on our websites. I'm at samanthafay.com. Denise is at thegratefulmessenger.com. Don't forget, you can always message us on our Facebook page, Enlightened Empaths, or you can email us, enlightenedempaths at gmail.com. If you love the show, we would really appreciate you telling a friend or leaving us a kind review on whatever listening platform you are subscribed to. We hope you have a wonderful week. Please remember, as always, to show up, do great work, and share your light. Take care.